The injuries are starting. The injuries are starting. We'll talk about the first attack of player injuries and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 8th. It's show number 8 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday news and comment edition for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at reliever health news about Jeremy Jefferson, Brandon Morrow, some pitcher battles and injuries in Colorado, and more news from the senior circuit and from the American League. Jock Thompson will tell us about injuries to Sal Perez and Miguel Sano, a surprise signing in Toronto, and more American League player news. We'll also have our commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our frequent flyer comment, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Texas multi-position guy Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. In our Market Pulse position preview segment, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick looks at starting pitchers. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about top picks for drafting in a feeble league. It's another Big Friday news and comment edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We might have a long-awaited breakout with a surprise early leader in the spring training home run race. And you know what that means. We are gonna talk some baseball. After Thursday's games in the Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues, four players had four big flies apiece. Tyler O'Neill, Domingo Santana, Chance Sisko, and Boston third base prospect Michael Chavis. But your leader is a guy we've been watching for quite a while now. Do five spring training home runs signal a breakout for Miami outfielder Lewis Brinson? More importantly, how much would you bet on it? In the first inning of this Friday news and comment edition, our Market Watch Player News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League, and leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend, Baseball HQ pitcher analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Let's start our parade through the news in the National League with some injuries in Milwaukee camp. Jeremy Jeffress left a game uh, earlier this week after just three pitches, and the team said it was due to some weakness in his shoulder. Uh, Tom Kephart covered the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com on Thursday, I believe. Uh, what's the story with Jeremy Jefferson? How does this affect what was looking like a pretty interesting Milwaukee bullpen? Yeah, you know, it's it's that time of the year, isn't it? When injuries happen and, and you don't know what the cause of them really is, and they really didn't happen during the game, and it's guys showing up for spring training and it's a mess, and it, it throws us all off as we as we do drafts, right? But uh, Jeremy Jeffress, three pitches, and then out of the game because of what's called shoulder weakness. Um, what this means is that Corey Neville and Josh Hader are likely to split Milwaukee saves if Jeffress starts the season on the on the DL, which is certainly possible. Jeffress had 15 saves in 2018. Uh, Milwaukee saves were largely split among those three relievers, uh, and all three were in our mix in terms of, of saves for this season. Uh, Neville could be anointed the primary closer with Hader used in matchups. 
a double a right-hander, a hater, a left-hander. Uh, so that could be a, a, a kind of a, a matchup kind of situation. At this point, we've dropped uh, Jeremy Jefferson's save total by 20% and really are splitting most. I think it's down to about seven saves or something like that and splitting most of the save between Neville and Hayter, uh, but certainly waiting to see what happens with this entire situation with Jeremy Jeffers. I looked at the Baseball HQ depth chart for the Brewers, Nick, and you're right, Je- Jeffers has been knocked down to 15% of the saves, uh, maybe may even worse than that, of course, depending on the severity of the injury and how long it takes him to recover. And the uh, the balance of the saves are split, as you said, between Nabel and, uh, and Josh Hader. I'm wondering, though, Nick, if the past is any indication of the future. Last year, they tended to use Hader in high leverage situations for multiple innings, and they were really successful doing it. And I wonder if maybe we're underestimating Corey Nable's ability to, to pick up saves because somewhat paradoxically or ironically, the team has more confidence in Hader but they're smart enough to realize you don't necessarily use your best pitcher only in save situations. You use your Josh haters when you need to get guys out sometime late in the game, even if it's in the seventh inning or the eighth or both. Right. I think, you know, I think you're very, very, very correct about that. It could be that Neville winds up being the, the saves guy and hater gets used in the more high leverage situations that are, that come up in the seventh and the eighth inning or sometimes to pitch both the seventh and the eighth. So yeah, I, it's one of those situations. If you're looking for saves, and have to choose between the two, I would go with Neville. If uh, Hayter, on the other hand, is a fine bullpen arm, if he wants some strikeouts and some uh, some good ratios and ERA, uh, a guy, a good guy to look at as long as uh, you can take a few saves, but not a not a whole pocket load full of them. Yeah, and it's not like Nabel's like a, a, a complete sort of one of those guys who gets the saves but kills your decimals and doesn't do anything. We're projecting him to appear in 66 games, get 20 saves at the current moment. That could, as I said, I think that's maybe a, a floor rather than a ceiling. And 318 ERA, 115 whip, and almost 100 strikeouts. I mean, this is not Josh Hader level performance, I will grant you. But if you if you give him just that, it's a 14 or $15 closer. And if you give him another 10 or 12 saves on the assumption that that is how they're going to manage the bullpen, all of a sudden he's one of the better closers in the league at, you know, $21, $22. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, certainly someone to, uh, to look at, especially with the, with the injury now to Jeremy Jeffers. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be bumping Cork Nabel up on my list. Uh, I drafted him once in the league already on the, on the expectation that, all of this talk about closers by committees and stuff, I think managers, while they talk a good game about that, sometimes don't want to do it. And they've had such success with uh, with Hayter especially. I can't see them just all of a sudden changing path. Uh, in Chicago camp, uh, Brandon Morrow is still out, and he's recovering from some elbow surgery he had. They say he's going to be out at least through April, maybe into May. And this raises some questions about the... Cubs bullpen and who's going to get the saves there. Doug Dennis covers the the uh, bullpen situations in the bullpen buyer's guide. What does he say about the Brandon Morrow situation in Chicago? Well, Doug Dennis did a very light, nice job of looking at that entire pen in his column this week, and I strongly recommend that you take a look at it because it's one of those situations where you're not really sure what could go on. Um, first thing that stands out, Doug says in the pen, is there are no lefties. Uh, Mike Montgomery's in the pen, but certainly does not have the the expected skills. Uh, that the that really five other guys in that pen have. So he's kind of down the pecking order, probably be used only in lefty matchup situations. Um, but they've got some other late inning options. Uh, Pedro Strop has a terrific skill set. Uh, Cody going at ADP around 280. Uh, Morrow actually has a better ADP, but not healthy. 
uh, and it says a slightly worse DOM and a worse home run per nine and worse XERA and worse whip and BPV and all of that. So Strop is a guy that I would sure look at at this point. Further down the ADP list, we know he's going to pitch into uh, it through the, through April. And, you know, what happens if he's if he's uh, getting in, in good shape and getting saved right and left and uh, sails through the month of April? What happens when Morrow comes back? One of those situations is hard to tell. The other thing that, that uh, Doug says to really look at is Steve Sissick. Steve Sissick is uh, ADP 626 right now, uh, but he could wind up somehow in the saves mix, especially during April. Uh, so they want to get uh, Morrow back as quickly as possible. They hope he'll come back as quickly as possible. But uh, take a look at Steve Sissick, a guy who's got uh, a 115 BPV, actually the highest BPV in the pen. Not sexy. Not somebody you're going to want, want to, uh, your league mates are going to jump on, but maybe a good guy to take a look at because you never know what will happen. And Pedro Strop had his own injury problems last year. And Sisek has the advantage also of having had some closing experience in the past, and we know whether they should or not. Managers sometimes look at that as evidence of a you know veteran wiles or whatever we call it, uh, guile we used to call it as an actual thing. And and certainly he has the best skills out of Moro, Strope, and Sisek. Sisek has a base performance value of 115, which is higher than either of the others. They also have a couple of sleepers in there, Brad Brock and Carl Edwards Jr. Brock also has some background in closing, and Edwards has some pretty mad strikeout skills, 11.5 Dom. Uh, This is a real fluid situation, and to me the real key question is how confident can we be that Morrow is going to come back? He's going to be 100% coming off elbow surgery, which is questionable, I think you'll agree. And then how certain can we be he doesn't re-injure himself because he has a track record of not being able to stay in the lineup? Right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right on that. And that's the other thing to think about with Morrow is this is not a, um, this is not an unusual situation. Uh, you know, he, he does keep getting injured periodically and uh, can't stay in the lineup. And so I would sure not draft him counting on him being the closer for Chicago from May on. Uh, he could be the closer for a month and then go back in the DL with some other kind of kind of problem. So I'd look deeper into that pen if I were looking for saves uh, from that particular location. And of course, as as Doug says in the column, it's not like they lack for choice down there. So even if Morrow comes back and he seems to be able to throw the ball, all he has to do is blow a couple of saves. And in a what they think is going to be a fairly tight division in the NL Central, they can't afford to wait around for Brandon Morrow for six weeks to figure it out and start getting saves. If he blows two or three saves, they may need to start thinking about other alternatives. This is one of those fluid situations that is simultaneously an opportunity and a real dangerous opportunity. You know what I mean? If you pick the right guy, it could give you a lot of saves on the cheap. But if you pick the wrong guy, you've wasted a pick and you may not get any saves because of the way, you know, it's whether the current closer, the guy who has the role keeps the role, whether the guy who has the role loses the role, whether your guy gets the role and loses the role, your guy gets the role and gets hurt. There's a lot of paths to saves here and there's also a lot of paths to like wasting a pick. Yeah, you know, I really like the way Doug concludes his write up on this. He says, Sisha could be on your radar as a sleeper. He's not sexy, not listed at the top of the pecking order. Joe Madden is stubborn, all, all valid, but Shisik could force his way into saves, and you want to be there if he does. And certainly at ADP 626, uh, a nice guy to pick up as maybe your last pick in the draft. 
As a matter of fact, just the other day in the uh, Baseball HQ Wonk League, the Writers League, I did pick up Steve Sishik on that basis. Uh, moving along uh, in Los Angeles, of course, there's some injury news there. And manager Dave Roberts announced that Ross Stripling will be the next guy up in the rotation if Clayton Kershaw is not ready for the start of the season. And Kershaw is looking more and more likely to be ready, if not right at the start, certainly very early in the season. But it is another one of those fluid situations. Stephen Nickrand uh, writes our starting pitcher buyer's guide, and Stephen said in his column about sleepers that Ross Stripling is somebody you need to look at. Yeah, Stephen said that uh, Ross has a, Stripling has a great opportunity to build upon last season's mini breakout. 3.02 ERA, 1.19 whip, 122 innings pitched. Uh, I'll take that on almost any time, especially at ADP 200+. plus. Uh, his skills have grown in leaps and bounds in each of his three major league seasons. 76, 126, 160 BPV. Uh, in his three seasons, he throws a lot of strikes. He misses bats. He keeps the ball on the ground. Uh, pitches well against both left-handers and right-handers. Uh, a very good buy, I think, at a plus 200 ADP. That that ADP could go up over the weekend with this announcement by by Dave Roberts. But, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, it wasn't a big announcement. Who know, knows who all saw that? And Julio Urias still sits behind Stripling uh, and could, of course, force his way into the rotation as well. So, uh, Ross Stripling's, I think, a good guy to look at as you get further down the uh, uh, the choices in your draft. And again, Nick, this seems like one of those situations where there's opportunity and there's also the opportunity to really miss out. And it, to me, to my way of thinking, it's this. Los Angeles has been very open about their willingness to stretch their rotation out to six pitchers, even seven pitchers, moving guys on and off that 10-day DL or uh, injured list, as they now call it. And so, again... Ross Stripling has a path to playing time, but he also has a path out of playing time. And I look at these skills, and, and uh, you mentioned that his base performance values have gone up from 76 to 126 to 160. Those are huge jumps over the course of three years and over some pretty significant playing time, too. We're talking about a, 100 innings, then 74, and a bit of an injury season, 122 last year. But let me just break the base performance value down a little bit. Dominance rate goes from under 7 to 9 to 10. His walk rate goes from almost 3 to barely over 2 to 1.6. So his strikeouts are going up, his walks are going down, and his command ratio as a result, 2.5, 6.2 command ratio, Nick. That's elite. Right, absolutely. You know, we're talking about a guy who's age 29, should be really in his prime, uh, I would, I would sure take a look at this uh, stripling uh, if I were drafting uh, at this point in time. Might also help that uh, Ross Stripling is battling some kind of flu uh, issue in his upper respiratory tract. They think he's going to be available for the season opener, but it might be a, another reason that some of the other guys in your league might look at Ross Stripling and say, well, here we go again. I'm not taking a chance on a guy who, who can't play, but it doesn't look like it's a baseball-related thing, so that's a, a positive. Uh, in Colorado, everybody wonders whether you should ever even think about drafting a Colorado pitcher, but some of them are pretty good, and some of them are getting some love from the experts in this preseason. One of them is Kyle Freeland, a left-hander who had a terrific year last year, but Ryan Bloomfield in the speculator column of this week has a really interesting take on starting pitchers, which has to do with fighting recency bias, and the warning I think he's giving, Nick, is don't always trust the last thing you saw. Right, and I, you know, you look at at, at Freeland from last season. It sure looked good. Uh, Two point eight five ERA. Um, that looked like a wonderful, wonderful number for him. But uh, going back and looking uh, at at 
at Kyle Freeland's uh, XERA 4.19. Uh, as uh, as Ryan pointed out, Freeland has only two years of major league experience. Uh, so we really don't know where his true talent lies. Does it lie in that 2.85? Does it lie in the 4.10 that he posted in 2017? I think we're pretty sure he's not a 2.85 ERA pitcher. Uh, luck factors were huge. Uh, 80% strand rate, uh, 8% home run per fly. Virtually unheard of for a Colorado starter. Uh, none of the skills indicators hit at anything close to a repeat of last year. The market, however, is disagreeing as Freeland's uh, got a 150-ish ADP, uh, but at HQ we're projecting a 3.83 ERA, 6.7 DOM. Uh, he shouldn't be anywhere going anywhere close to uh, a 150 ADP. I'll take Ross Stripling first. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the right analysis. Uh, Kyle Freeland is one of those situations where uh, what uh, what you have to look at, I think, Nick, is something that. Uh, that Ryan alluded to, and Gene McCaffrey, who was our guest earlier this week on the Tuesday Tout edition of Baseball HQ Radio, talked a couple of different times about looking at players, especially relatively young players, and saying, you don't know what his median is. So you can't expect any kind of regression to a mean because you don't know what it is. He hasn't got enough of a track record for you to be confident that he has established any kind of true level. And that's what Ryan is saying here. Kyle Freeland basically has uh, some minor league experience and one year in the big leagues, uh, uh, two years in the big leagues. So uh, one year he's pitching and he's mediocre. The next year he has slightly better skills. Some of the things go in the right direction. But mostly they stay pretty much the same, and all of a sudden his ERA is a, a run and a half below uh, expected ERA. And if you trust those expected ERA-type metrics, yes, it went down. It went from 480 in 2017 expected, and he underperformed it by about seven-tenths of a run, to 419 last year, and he underperformed it by a run and a half. I think that, that this is cause for caution. And then you throw in the fact he's pitching in Colorado. Nick, uh, I think that if somebody wants to take this guy in the 150 range, like in the 10th round, let him. Right, absolutely. I, I would just say that uh, there are enough good pitchers out there that Kyle Freeland is not on my draft list. And when you say there's enough good pitchers, one of them might actually be in Colorado. Uh, Herman Marquez ha- also had a pretty good uh, year last year. And Stephen Nickrand, who writes the uh, Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, mentioned Herman Marquez in his column about sleepers. Absolutely. He said that uh, Marquez might be the best starting pitcher breakout target in the game heading into this season. Uh, his skills showed a lot of growth from 2017 to 2018. Uh, skills Last season, 10.6 DOM, 2.6 control, 47% ground ball rate, 144 BPV, and in the second half was even better, 190 BPV, 2.45 XERA. That's in the second half. So his his overall numbers last season were were masked by a so-so first half, uh, that that uh, and then that tremendous second half. Uh, Steve Neckman calls him a legitimate buddy nace. Uh, I think I'd have to agree. Uh, Herman Marquez is someone that I do have on my draft list. How worried are you, though, Nick, as a veteran pitching analyst, as well as a guy who's been playing fantasy baseball for a long time, about the fact this guy has to throw half his starts in such a hitting-friendly environment? You know, I think I would have worried about that um, more prior to last season than now. Uh, Colorado seems to be getting smarter about the, the, the pitchers they're putting out there and smarter about the kinds of skills those pitchers need to succeed in in that uh, that altitude. Uh, we're, they're looking at guys with uh, with uh, 
a better strikeout rate. They're looking at guys that get more ground balls. Uh, so I think it's now maybe time to put some of those Colorado starters back onto um, onto your radar uh, because they, they seem to be figuring out this is what we've got to do to win in our ballpark, and these are the kind of pitchers we need. And as it turns out, those skills translate pretty well once you leave Colorado, too. If you're pitch, getting a lot of ground balls and a lot of strikeouts, that's a good combination. At the same time, though, it might be one of those situations where you'd have to be in a league that allows you to selectively put guys in to stream pitchers in and out based on where they're pitching and against whom. Because uh, when you look at Herman Marquez's 2018 record, home versus away starts, um, we'll just listen to this. His home uh, OPS against 800 at home, 600 on the road. Roughly, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding. Uh, his ERA at home uh, is like f- almost 5 his away ERA under three, his WHIP away at home one point five, at home uh, on the road under one. I think there is a very real cause for concern with a guy, even with Herman Marquez's skills, that you can't just start him every week in in Colorado the way you would if uh, Max Scherzer were pitching for Colorado, because there is something going on here. Right, very definitely, and that's where let me, let me just make a plug for the pitcher matchups columns. That's where looking at the pitching matchup column. Uh, and those and those metrics as you start a week and as you set your lineup can really help because you can see that uh, someone like Herman Marquez is more the a neutral pitcher this week, but next week he may be a very highly rated pitcher based upon the fact. That, and what's going to make the difference, obviously, is his opponent, but also is he pitching at home or away? Right, so I think we agree This he's not yet an ace-caliber guy that you can just throw out there every day, and I don't think anybody's drafting him in that sense, but uh, if you're in a keeper league, you can look forward. Uh, maybe he gets out of Coors Field at some point as a free agent or something like that. Finally, Nick, uh, two injury notes out of San Diego, neither of them particularly huge, but I'm just curious about your comments. Travis Jankowski broke his wrist. He's going to be out for at least three months. And left-handed relief pitcher Jose Castillo went on the 60-day DL with the dreaded left flexor strain that's often a precursor to Tommy John surgery. And I think we can dispose of Jankowski by saying if you drafted him or planned to to sort of shore up your stolen bases on a selective uh, basis, then uh, Maybe you got to look somewhere else. Or clearly, you're going to have to look somewhere else. But the guy who's interesting to me here, Nick, is Jose Castillo. At Baseball HQ, we love Jose Castillo. We've been recommending that you grab him in the reserve rounds. This is a real blow. It really is. I, you know, Jose Castillo was on on my draft lists, and uh, we have been plugging him here. We plugged him and uh, been plugged on the site. A lot of really great skills. Uh, but right now, we're looking at he was placed on the 60 day DL. 60-day injury list, so uh, they're expecting this to be serious, uh, and I would not plan on Jose Castillo uh, anytime soon this season. If uh, some miracle happens that he doesn't have to have surgery, he might be worth looking at in the second half, but um, I would now take him off my draft list. If I drafted him, I'd be looking at reserving him or, or waving him fairly early uh, because he's not going to be pitching for at least 60 days. All right, Nick, I uh, hate to have bad news about a guy that you could maybe grab in, in the very last round or in the reserves, have him do great, and then have all the guys in your league looking at you going, grr, you know, you always have those great guys at the end of the draft. And anybody who's already drafted Jose, Jose Castillo, as I said, is going to be really disappointed. And those of us who planned to draft Jose Castillo at some point are disappointed as well. Nick, thanks a million for helping us out. We're getting closer to opening day. I'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, Patrick. 
Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst for BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Let's move over to the American League, Baseball HQ Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hey, PD, how you doing? I'm doing very well. As we speak, you're wrapping up a spring training trip to Phoenix. How did it go? Oh, it was great. Uh, the weather uh, finally warmed up here uh, the week before, as, you, as we were talking earlier, before we went on the air. Um, apparently, they had a little snow in Scottsdale. It's been cold in California, too, but it warmed up nicely for our visit. Uh, stayed in the 70s and uh, even hit 80 a few times, and it was beautiful. And uh, while you were out there, you saw a bunch of spring training games. Any players stand out in your mind as guys you're interested in and want to keep an eye on? Yeah, I did. The team that I saw the most of was uh, was San Diego. I saw three of their games, and what a what a fun collection of players, young players to follow around. Uh, I actually got to see Chris Paddock pitch uh, this past Sunday, and um, he he really came as advertised. Um, Mid nineties uh, fastball, uh, good command of that, and a, and a killer changeup. Struggled with his curveball, and that's what you hear about Chris Paddock. It's going to be interesting to see how he fares at the major league level. Um, other Padres, uh, Franmil Reyes was hitting the ball hard every, pretty much every time up. He looked great. Uh, uh, Franchi Cordero looked good. Obviously, Fernando um, or Francisco Mejia, the catcher, he really looked good at the plate. Uh, this is a team that could be an offensive force, I think, in the National League. And they added some guy, Machado, Machudo. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, in fact, it was really funny. The uh, the first game we 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 drove in, uh, we saw them play the Dodgers over here at Camelback. And uh, that guy, Muchedo, wasn't in the lineup, but Tyler France was, and he looked great, too. <laughs> I tell you, I almost started a free Tyler France campaign. He got three hits the first night we were here, including a home run, and he's been hitting the ball all over spring training as well. So, uh, interesting team. Well, it sounds like you had a good time. I'm glad uh, that you enjoyed it. Uh, let's move on to the American League news, uh, which really picked up this past week, and not in a good way. It was all injury news that has big-name players likely to miss opening day and maybe a lot more. That sort of news starts in Kansas City. Salvador Perez, with no warning at all, suddenly goes into the operating room. Tommy John surgery, he's out for the year. Matt Dodge wrote this one up for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Obviously, this makes an already shallow catcher pool, even in mixed leagues, even shallower. Does Matt see anything in Kansas City that could help that situation? Yeah, this one came out of the blue, didn't it? I mean, how many how many times do you, do you see an, an experienced veteran catcher just go down with Tommy John surgery. I I didn't hear that he had had trouble throwing. Apparently, he was experiencing some soreness in February and then this. Uh, and, and as per most catching situations, there's just not a lot of experience behind Perez, who has been a pretty much year-in, year-out, 500-at-bat workhorse in Kansas City. Uh, he, ne- he doesn't do much for the batting average. He'll hit around 250, 260. But he was hitting 25 homers pretty much every year. Um, behind him right now, they've got a guy named Cam Gallagher who looks like he has some plate skills, but his contact skills are pretty much zero. Uh, hard contact, way down, power way down. They've got another guy behind him uh, uh, named Mabris Valoria. I didn't see either of these guys play out here. There has been some discussion about signing free agent Martin, Martin Maldonado, but apparently the two sides are far apart. Uh, this looks like just your typical catcher black hole. I would not be surprised to see another name back there at some point, but not anyone particularly roster worthy. I have no clue where the Royals go from here. 
I think we saw Valoria in the Arizona Fall League last year, but I don't remember anything about him. It's not like he jumped out or anything, uh, and he only has about 170 innings at higher levels of competition. Yeah, this doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of uh, salvation for Salvador Perez on the Kansas City lineup, and of course this really upsets or you have to recalibrate your catcher expectations in mixed leagues, as I mentioned, but especially in American League leagues, this is a, this is a real, all of a sudden, a real black hole you described it as, and I think that's exactly right. All of a sudden, you know, you had a couple of decent catchers in Sanchez and in uh, um, Real Muto. Oh, wait, Real Muto's in the National League. Hmm. You kind of had a top catching guy in, in Gary Sanchez and a couple of lesser options, but Perez was near the top of the list. All of a sudden, no Perez. Yeah, and uh, it, it's interesting. Um, uh, you just where do you go from here? Um, and and in keeper leagues, I mean, do you save Perez for twenty twenty? Um, I'm not sure we can draw any uh, any strong conclusions from the group of catchers that have preceded Perez in this situation. Their history doesn't offer uh, uh, much of a much of an outline for for what's going to happen. I mean, Perez is only 29 years old, and he turn, he turns 29 in May actually, and he's under contract for 36 million through 2021. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, if I'm a, if I'm in a keeper league and I have Perez, I'd keep him. But this seems like such a unique situation for an established major league catcher. It'll be interesting to see whether his post surgical success uh, approaches uh, what he does afterward. Yeah, I don't think Tommy John's surgery has been implicated in the ability to swing the bat, so I don't think there's a worry there. However, of course, if it if it has any kind of impact on his ability to throw batters out, which was something of a specialty with Sal Perez, then all of a sudden maybe his playing time starts to be coming into question, especially as he gets a little older. Now, the question about keeper leagues is interesting. I, Of course, the situation would entirely depend on what kind of price you had Sal Perez at. I think if you had him at like a $16 or $14 keeper, I don't think you can afford to keep him this year unless you're really in a rebuilding mode because you can't carry a dead $14 spot into your roster and then try to replace the catcher out of the free agent pool after the draft. And you're basically going into the draft with $244 to get everybody else's 260 I don't think that can work. Yeah, it really depends on what your what your outlook is if you're competing or not. And uh, and uh, I know my wife has a situation. She actually had Sal Perez, so she's wrestling that with right now. We've been talking about that the last few days, obviously. So uh, different strokes for different folks here. Another injury story in Minnesota. The Twins got bad news with the announcement that Miguel Sano needed a debridement procedure. Sounds like an annulment of a wedding, doesn't it? But it's actually some kind of procedure involving a, a laceration on his left heel. He's going to be out until at least May. Uh, another in a series of issues for Miguel Sano. It's one thing and another. Rick Green covers the Twins for playing time today. So what's Minnesota going to do without Miguel Sano? Yeah, I looked up that term debridement procedure and apparently it's the removal of damaged tissue or foreign objects from a wound uh, interesting situation here apparently the wound is near his 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 Achilles tendon um, and as Rick points out in his playing time today piece this is why the twins signed Marwin Gonzalez it's the first thing I thought of uh, it's always been something with Sano which is beginning to cause me to believe he just doesn't make the best decisions. This thing, this incident happened after a Caribbean playoff celebration. How many playoffs have been critically hurt in celebrations that we've seen over the years? And uh, Kendris Morales of the Angels. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, I was there for that game. Uh, and this is a, 
this is a long-term keeper issue for me. I have to decide on whether to keep uh, Miguel Sano or Justin Smoke at the same price. You got Smoke, who's 32 years old, Sano 25, 26. I, I never think you can give up on a 25, 26-year-old player, particularly when there's a six or seven-year difference. I mean, as soon as I drop Sano, he's likely to come back and kill it next year. Um, but boy, it just it just makes me wonder. This guy is constantly going down with something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 as far as the Twins goes, it looks like uh, here Adrianz is going to get a little more third base time. The, the guy that really benefits is Marwin, though. I wouldn't be surprised if Marwin Gonzalez becomes the regular third baseman. For sure. Uh, what about Tyler Austin? Yeah, you know, Tyler Austin, I think, is going to get a reprieve. The problem he has is the Twins have so many first base DH types. You just wonder how long they're going to keep him on the bench. I, I don't know where he plays. You've got uh, Nelson Cruz at DH now. They've signed um, CJ Crone to play first base. All of these guys are right-handed hitters, as is Austin. So uh, it, it's an it's an interesting bench. I think the Twins have really improved themselves, but but their the their benches. Uh, um, with 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 Tyler Austin is is a little strange right now. I think you used exactly the right word, reprieve. Uh, Tyler Austin may make the team when he wouldn't have because of the snow situation, but in the long run, I think he's going to be uh, you know back on death row as it were because there's just no way they can afford to carry another of those Nelson Cruz, Miguel Sano types, especially as, if he doesn't even offer you any kind of platoon advantage. Uh, Jock, if there are any three words any fantasy owner doesn't want to hear about an ace pitcher, they are Tommy John surgery. We all know that. But another three-word phrase that has to get people worked up is rotator cuff inflammation. And that's the diagnosis that the Yankees' Luis Severino got this week. He's going to miss at least opening day. And, of course, depending on the severity of the, of the injury, could be longer than that. This is not the most serious injury diagnosis Severino could have had, of course, but it's pretty serious all the same. He's the Yankees ace. He's going to be the ace on a lot of fantasy rosters as kind of a top-tier second guy after DeGrom and Scherzer. Obviously, there's some concern here. Matt Dodge covered the Yankees for playing time today. He's on this story. What does Matt Dodge say the Yankees are going to do, and how does it affect fantasy owners? Yeah, I think the, um, the the seriousness here is the fact that it happened to, to Severino. Inflammation isn't the worst diagnosis, uh, diagnosis because you can calm it down with a little bit of rest. And if there's a team that can absorb this with pitching, it's the Yankees. They've got a whole bunch of, uh, of good young talent now. Obviously, some of it isn't, isn't experienced. The two names I'm looking at, and I think uh, – Matt Dodge is looking at, or uh, Jonathan La, La Signa and uh, Domingo uh, German. Their playing time has taken a bump up. We don't know in what combination the Yankees will use them. Both of them have very good futures as, as starting pitchers. Uh, I, uh, Domingo uh, German might might be a guy they use in the bullpen, but uh, these are guys who can strike out hitters. Um, if the Yankees only have to use them for a, a couple, three weeks, uh, that's that's not the worst thing in the world. The fact that they're both going to get some extra playing time, it almost seems certain at this point, especially CC Sabathia is going to be delayed a little bit because he's got a kind of a sore right knee. It's uh, He had surgical cleanup of it last season, but it looks like there's plenty of room for those young pitchers to get at least start the season on the roster. And of course, we know if that happens, and they're both pretty talented young guys, what happens if they both throw like a couple of real gems at the start of the season? That puts the Yankees in a bit of a, a pickle that they'll have too many pitchers for the rotation. Maybe they go into Dodgers mode where they float guys on and off the DL and extend their 
pitching rotation from five guys to seven. Yeah, that scenario wouldn't uh, surprise me at all. The other scenario that wouldn't surprise me is if they start mixing and matching these guys and putting them in the bullpen in long relief bursts, say two, three, four innings where they could really succeed. They could they could throw lights out and uh, hitters wouldn't necessarily get a second or third look at them. Uh, it's an interesting situation to watch in New York. If these guys are on your free agent list, they're, they're certainly worthy of taking a flyer on. In Los Angeles, the Angels third baseman Zach Cozart has been diagnosed with a grade one strain of his left calf, and he's going to miss again at least a few weeks, according to manager Brad Osmus, which means he'll probably be on the DL to start on opening day. You looked at this situation for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Where does this all leave the Angels, and where does it leave Zach Cozart's fantasy owners? Well, we only have Cozart projected for 70% playing time because of his injury history, and it's a lengthy one. So uh, I'm going to wait for more word before I ding him a little more playing time. Um, Taylor Ward has impressed the team with his work at third base from what I gather during spring training. He could be in line to open the season of the starter if Cozart's uh, injury lingers into the regular season, which I think it will. Uh, you've also got David Fletcher, who's the regular second baseman. He played a lot of third base uh, last year. His arm is a little short for that position, but if he only has to be there for a couple of weeks, um, um, the Angels the Angels would do that. Angels have Tommy LaStella there in camp, too. Um, he hasn't looked particularly good from what I gather. An interesting guy is, is Luis Rangifo. Now, here's a guy. He's only 22. He came from out of nowhere last year. He stole 41 bases in uh, 502 at-bats at, at between AA and AAA last year. He also had, a, he had 75 strikeouts and 75 walks uh, at, at, the, at the same time, and he hit 299. So I, I watched the Angels play a little bit this um, this trip. I, I watched their road team, and it, and it wasn't very impressive. The Angels don't have a lot of major league ready depth, and they're moving players around all over the place between second and third place, including Fletcher and Ringifo and Ward. So it's really hard to say what they're going to do. Um, I'm sure, I guess, as we get closer to opening day, it'll it'll become more apparent. But uh, Ringifo is an interesting flyer for for owners who are really looking for stolen bases. Or if you have res- long reserve lists or you're playing in a keeper league, something like that, he could be one of those guys that nobody really knows about. Uh, this is the first time I think I've even heard the name. And uh, those are the kind of guys that you can grab in the 300th round and maybe sooner or later. You know, a guy who can steal 40 bases and 500 at-bats always has to be interesting to anybody. Of course, the question is, can he get on first in the big leagues. Yeah, and I should mention a little bit about Ward. I watched him last year, and I, I wasn't particularly impressed until, believe it or not, the smallest of samples, the last four games of the season. He hit three three home runs for the Angels in, in, in those last four games, and he looks like, looked like maybe he was growing right before my eyes. Uh, he sacrificed some contact last year, um, hit, a li- hit a little bit for more power. He will take a walk. Um, He's, he's kind of an interesting guy, but again, uh, an, uh, an angel flyer, and that's not always a good thing these days. Finally, Jock, some American League news that doesn't have to do with injuries, at least not directly. Clay Buchholz signed a free agent deal to pitch in Toronto for the Blue Jays. We haven't seen many contract details. We're going to assume it's a one-year deal. Uh, Buchholz trying to build his stock for maybe one last kick at the free agent market. Now, he surprised a lot of us last year in Arizona, uh, nobody more than me. More than six innings per start over 16 starts and a 201 ERA. I wouldn't be surprised if Clay Buchholz 
was some kind of emergency pickup on a lot of fantasy teams and helped them win their leagues because that's uh, that's really getting the job done. Does it seem a little surprising to you that Buchholz would want to go to Toronto to a rebuilding team and not get scarfed up by one of the contending teams? What are we missing here? Matt Dodge wrote it up for playing time today. What's going on? Yeah, it really, it, I, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, uh, when I first looked at Buckholz's numbers from 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 last year, I was I was stunned. I I didn't realize he had been that good for Arizona. I just didn't have him on any of my teams. I didn't follow him. Uh, at first, it looks like he should have plenty of opportunity to pitch in a rotation that includes a lot of uh, oft injured guys like. Clayton Richard and Aaron Sanchez, Matt Shoemaker, and, a, and an inexperienced guy like Ryan Barucki. Uh, and on the surface, that ERA and, and the number of in- innings pitched per start, uh, really impressive. But but a couple of things. Uh, his his 2018 ended early in September last year with a right flexor strain, so we don't know where that is. And he had forearm surgery the year before. It held him to seven innings in 2017. So this is a guy with a track record uh, that suggests he'll fit right in with all the other uh, oft-injured guys on the on the Toronto staff. And that shiny ERA was largely a result of an 86% strand rate. His expected ERA was was 395. I expect him to come down to earth even if he stays healthy, particularly in the AL East. Uh, his velocity is dropping. Uh, I'm not sure I would be chasing him right now. I, I might take a flyer on him, but uh, boy, I'd, I'd be still a little bit leery of, of Clay Buchholz. This signing has me thinking that maybe Toronto figures they've got some kind of angle that they think that they can kind of outsmart the opposition by just loading up on guys with poor health or with health questions. <laughs> now, you mentioned that Buckholz has some uh, some health issues. He's got an F health grade in the uh, Baseball HQ reliability ratings. Uh, Aaron Sanchez has these uh, uh, finger problems, blister problems. Matt Shoemaker, you know well from his days with the Angels, can't seem to stay on the field. Marcus Stroman, not so much, but he's had lower body issues because of the way he pitches. Um, they all are F health grades. Clayton Richard, another guy with a D health rating, has had injury issues. And then a couple of young guys. Maybe the Blue Jays think that they have some kind of advantage in managing often injured pitchers. It's a possibility. And if they do, that could give them a lot of added value. Yeah, I, I keep looking at all of these different rosters with these pitchers who I, who who either have health issues or don't have a lot of experience. And I'm thinking... A lot of these teams are going to be pitching these guys four, five, six innings, maybe putting them on the DL for a couple of weeks and then running them out there again. It's pitching is going to be fascinating this year because I, I think we're really, after last year, entering into uncharted waters. It wouldn't be surprised to, to see uh, uh, some of these guys in the bullpen later on in the season or maybe early on pitching long relief. Um, owners are going to try to throw, or I'm sorry, uh, professional major league teams are going to, throw permutations in different matchups against the wall and see what sticks and see who can stay healthy and see who can produce. I, I think we're in a whole different world right now. I do too. And when you look at how Toronto sets up, they've got a lot of relief pitchers who look at least somewhat intriguing. I'm seeing guys with names like David Phelps. I see uh, Bud Norris, who's got a background in closing. They got Giles at the end of the at the bullpen. Sam Gavilio, who's kind of bounced back and forth between the rotation and relief. I wonder if they're setting themselves up for some kind of of pitcher management uh, that that is going to look a lot like what Tampa does, messing around with the order of guys, trying to avoid that third time through penalty, all of these kind of things, limiting the innings of everybody. Maybe you know instead of having five 
180 inning starters, they'll have 540 inning starters, and they'll transfer the 200 innings and lay them out amongst all these relief guys that they've got. And as you said, when they run into a, a bit of a snag, they can always just throw a couple of guys on the DL and maybe bring somebody up from the minor leagues or give a random start to a swing guy and have him go be an opener. There's a lot of opportunities here. And just the fact that they seem to be adopting a strategy that we welcome pitcher risk really is an eye-opener. I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at their pitching roster right now, and you're right. There's a whole bunch of names that I that I recognize here, guys who used to be starting pitcher prospects, guys who can probably give you a couple innings out of the bullpen. Uh, why not put them in a different role and see how their stuff plays up? Yeah, what would be interesting and something I'm going to look at because I've got an American League draft coming up is I'm going to look at all of these guys and I'm going to check out their splits on second time through, third time through. And if I see that there's a lot of guys here who pay that third time through penalty but are pretty good otherwise, uh, Jake Odorizzi is the, uh, the poster child for that. You know, it's a, like a 150 ERA two times through and a 790 ERA the third time. But if that's what they're loading up on, I wonder if they're just figuring that they're going to manage that situation by just not giving guys third times through. Yeah, it's, I, I think that's a that's actually a, a smart move. If I have time, I may look at that second and third time through uh, stat as well, because uh, it might turn out to be a pretty interesting and important stat this year. It certainly could. Uh, Jock, thanks very much for taking the time. Appreciate you helping us out, and we'll talk to you again as we get closer and closer to opening day. We'll be back with you next week. Okay, PD, thanks. Jock Thompson is Baseball HQ's Director of News and Analysis and our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. When we return, we'll have our Baseball HQ commentaries, the Frequent Flyer, Market Pulse Position Preview, and Master Notes all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. But first, I wanted to let you know about First Pitch Forums. The series wraps up this weekend. This year's First Pitch Forums are built around a mammoth study that Baseball HQ did. And when they found out that the mammoths are extinct, they turned it over to baseball. And they asked hundreds of analysts, HQ subscribers, industry experts, and paleontologists question like, which five pitchers posted a sub-315 ERA with a plus-4 expected ERA last year? Who do we trust most to sustain their low ERA in 2019? Which Los Angeles Dodgers starter gets the most starts this year? Which rookie hitter will be the most profitable at his draft price? John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge combined. 1,000 plate appearances, over or under? Jose Leclerc, Kirby Yates, or Ken Giles for closer? And who's got the better bet for a mammoth-like extinction? Byron Buxton or Miguel Sano? Hey, we had to ask the paleontologist something. Those questions and dozens more will be answered with information and analysis you can use to dominate your leagues. So if you're in the greater Boston area, you can head out to the Newton Marriott in Newton, Massachusetts, a perfect site for the Newton Marriott. The forum gets rolling at 7 p.m. with guest speakers Todd Zola from Rotowire and Chris Olson from Baseball HQ. On Saturday, the forums moved to Greater New York at the Saddlebrook Marriott in Saddlebrook, New Jersey from 2 to 5. More great guest speakers, including Todd, Mike Podhorzer from Fangraphs, Derek Carty, who created the BAT projection system, Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus, Brian Walton from Creative Sports, and Nick Richards and Matt Dodge from Baseball HQ. Finally, on Sunday, it's off to the Baltimore and D.C. area at the BWI Airport Marriott in Linthicum, Maryland, which was not named after Tim Linthicum. 
It's actually out there near the interchange of Highway 195 and 295. That forum also goes from noon to 3, and your guest speakers will include Todd Zola, Steve Gardner from USA Today, and Phil Hertz, Dave Adler, and Matt Dodge from Baseball HQ. Best of all, all three forums feature hosts Ray Murphy and Brent Hershey from Baseball HQ, and the master, Ron Chandler. The Great First Pitch Survey, exclusively at First Pitch Forums. Get more information and order your ticket now at BaseballHQ.com seminars. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have the Market Pulse position previews and master notes. And leading us off, it's our frequent flyer commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool or late in your draft, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is Texas multi-position guy Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And here to tell you more, he's a little under the weather, but he's hanging in there, is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. He won't make or break your season, but he's diced up, according to the 2019 baseball forecaster. But let's face it, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa's catcher eligibility is a game-changer. Another fact pointed out by the 2019 baseball forecaster. So let's take a closer look. This soon-to-be 24-year-old was a career 276 hitter in the minors. Maybe that doesn't necessarily jump off the page, but Isaiah Kiner-Falefa's heart and hustle do. Specifically, we're talking about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa winning the Rangers' 2018 Heart and Hustle Award presented to an active player who demonstrates a passion for the game of baseball and best embodies the values, spirit, and traditions of the game. So he may have heart and hustle, but he certainly didn't exhibit much power in the minors, with only five home runs total. In 463 minor league games, or 1,710 minor league at-bats. Wow. A totally almost eclipsed at the major league level last season, 2018, with four home runs and only 356 at-bats. That's why Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth the flyer if he is still available in your 2019 draft. Speaking of your 2019 draft, just for comparison, just for fun, consider this. Jorge Alfaro batted 262 with 10 home runs and 3 steals in 108 games, 344 at-bats in Philadelphia in 2018. Compare that to Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who batted 261 with 4 home runs and 7 steals in 111 games, 356 at-bats overall, while playing home games in the Rangers' hitter-happy Globe Life Park. Although the numbers are pretty similar, a 262 batting average versus a 261 batting average, 16 doubles versus 18 doubles, 37 RBI versus 34 RBI, those numbers are almost identical. But of course, the 10 home runs versus 4 home runs and 3 steals versus 7 steals are quite different. Did you catch that? Isaiah Kiner-Falefa had 7 steals in 2018 and he qualifies a catcher. You know what else is different? Jorge Alfaro whiffed 138 times in 108 games, whereas Isaiah Kiner-Falefa struck out only 62 times in 111 games. That translates to an 83% contact rate for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, which ranks him among baseball's best hitters, according to the benchmarks at BaseballHQ.com. 
Plus, let's not forget that Isaiah Kiner Falefa's seven steals led all major league catchers in 2018. More importantly, Isaiah Kiner Falefa will likely qualify not only a catcher, but also second base and third base, and possibly shortstop in most leagues. Meaning, maybe you should qualify for your team. That's our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for the Market Pulse position preview. These reports are based on the tremendous work being done by BaseballHQ.com analyst Matt Cederholm. Now it's time for the Market Pulse position preview. These reports are based on the tremendous work being done by BaseballHQ.com analyst Matthew Cederholm in his Market Pulse column where he scours the ADPs looking for bargains and busts based on Baseball HQ projections. And here with a scan of starting pitchers is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. In his Market Pulse analysis, Matt Cederholm says starting pitchers are going earlier than ever in drafts. He recommends targeting an anchor even if you have to reach or overpay. The universal draft grid from our 2019 Baseball Forecaster shows the top three tiers for starters have 16 names among them. They are split evenly between the American League and the National League with eight each. If you miss out on one of those 16, don't think you can make up for it by collecting two or three from the next two tiers. First of all, you wouldn't be the only owner in your league who might think that. Second, there may be enough names to go around with 30 pitchers in those next two tiers, but there are not enough stats. The fourth and fifth tiers are where the league breakdown breaks down. 19 of the 30 starters going 17th to 46th are in the National League, while the American League has only 10 and Keuchel remains unsigned as of this recording. Without an anchor from the top 16 and one or two more solid starters from the next 30, it'll be Tier 6 that makes or breaks your pitching point totals. Right now, let's test the water by wading into the deep end of the starting pitcher pool. Even before we step in, we're told that the Surgeon General now requires health warnings on the labels of Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Mike Fultonevich, Carlos Martinez, and Luis Severino. Want proof that you may need to reach or overpay for an anchor? There are four starters with ADPs in the 50s, and all four are going at least 50 slots or three rounds earlier than we think they should. And those aren't even the big names. They're Patrick Corbin, James Paxton, Jameson Tyone, and Steven Strasburg. The upside plays don't appear until ADPs 60 to 90. The two best bargains in that range are Zach Grenke and Miles Michaelis. Grenke has an ADP of 65 compared with his round earlier ranking of 47, and Michaelis has an ADP of 98 compared to his three rounds earlier ranking of 48. In rounds 8 to 11, Cedarholm questions our ranking of Robbie Ray in round 17 at 252 and argues that Ray's value may actually be closer to what the market is paying. Ray's underlying metrics indicate that he was unusually unlucky to end up with his career-worst control rate of 5.1 walks per nine innings pitched. Cedarholm says it's a high-risk play, but Ray's upside may be appropriately valued at round 9 at ADP 129. To incorporate the risk, he advises waiting on Ray until at least round 11. Two guys Cedarholm says are not worth reaching or overpaying for are Chris Archer and Yu Darvish. The best bargain of the group is Kyle Hendricks, who's going three rounds later than our ranking. We have him in round 6 at 78, and he's going in round 8 at 125. Everyone's favorite so-called sleeper, Jake Pavetta, is so popular now that his ADP has been pushed up to round 11 at 151. 
four rounds and 63 slots ahead of our 214 ranking in round 15. Likewise, everyone's favorite breakout candidate, Tyler Glasnow, is going at an ADP of 157, 130 slots or nine rounds earlier than our round 19 ranking of 287. Still, Cedarholm recommends paying the price to speculate. In rounds 12 to 15, we have another starter with breakout buzz, Kevin Gosman. But his helium has him going at ADP 192 in round 13, 148 picks or 10 rounds higher than our round 23 ranking of 340. Gosman has a well-established track record of inconsistency. Even after moving from Baltimore to Atlanta, Gosman had a PQS dominance to disaster ratio of 27% dominant to 47% disaster. Skip him until deep into the reserve rounds, especially since he also comes with a health warning for now. The best bargain in this group is Jake Arietta. Cedarholm says taking Arietta in round 12 could be a value play. There are no value plays in rounds 16 to 20. All but one of the 11 starters with ADPs between 250 and 300 are going at least four rounds earlier than we rank them. The elevator finally stops at the bargain basement in rounds 21 and beyond, where several starters are on sale. Corbin Burns heads the list with an ADP of 301. We rank him eight rounds earlier at 177 based on our projection for 131 innings pitched, 114 strikeouts, an ERA of 344, a whip of 121, and 10 wins to boot. Brad Peacock is projected for a similar stat line, and his round 22 ADP of 327 is a four-round discount from our round 18 ranking of 258. To recap, starting pitchers are going earlier and costing more than ever, so get yourself an anchor and then target upside bargains. An alternative is to fill out your staff by mixing and matching starting pitcher bargains with relief pitchers, which will be our final position preview next week. For a precise picture of player rankings and values specific to your leagues, use the custom draft guide at BaseballHQ.com and stay ahead of your league mates with Matt Cedarholm's Market Pulse series. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick does our Market Pulse position previews all during the preseason, and he'll be wrapping up the series next week with relievers. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. This week, I want to talk about the extinction of the mammoths. No, wait, that's an entirely different podcast. I want to talk about top draft picks for a fantasy feeble baseball league. We're smack in the middle of draft season, so what fantasy baseball needs right now is another game format. And since Ron Chandler is probably tired of inventing them, I'm boldly stepping up to the plate with an exciting new idea. Fantasy Egregiously Execrable Bizarro League. Let's call it Feeble for short. An even worse acronym than HQ Wonk. Actually... I already invented a feeblish format for Daily Fantasy three years ago, which led to such lavish financial rewards that I'm now recording this in my very own basement, not my mom's, and driving an ultra-luxurious 2015 Nissan Sentra, built-in GPS and heated seats. A feeble league is based on a style of hockey fantasy drafting that my friends and I invented while we were going to university, or more precisely, while we were going to the university bar right after our real hockey draft. Somehow, the idea of drafting a team made up of plotters, penalty-prone punchers, defensive defensemen, and so on sounded like fun. As I recall it, through the haze of memory and many pitchers of Labatt's blue, the league had two categories, fewest points and most penalty minutes. 
Early picks included Montreal wrecking ball winger Chris Nyland, Pittsburgh defenseman Marty McSorley, and the inaptly named Buffalo defenseman Larry Playfair, who amassed an impressive 211 penalty minutes the previous season while logging just 16 scoring points. Oh, the memories. So back to the present. First, let's set our feeble rules. After all, a league without rules is a league with no long arguments, no owners threatening to quit, no endless lawyering. Hmm, maybe let's not set any rules. Let's set guidelines. As you've likely sussed, the first guideline is that feeble is the antithesis of regular fantasy baseball. The worse a player is, the more valuable he is on a feeble roster. And speaking of rosters, the second guideline is that a feeble roster should have way fewer players than the standard 23. Fewer players means shorter drafts, so owners can get to the bar sooner. As well, fewer players to analyze makes master notes like this one shorter, and we're all in favor of that, especially me, since I have to record it, and you even more, since you have to listen. So the shorter feeble roster will include two catchers, because in feeble, catchers are gold. One each at the infield spots, three outfielders, three starting pitchers, and two relievers. Meanwhile, the categories have to reflect contributions to losing baseball games. So for hitters, fewest runs produced, strikeouts, caught stealings, and lowest on-base percentage. I wanted to include grounding into double plays, but nobody projects them, and they're pretty scattered amongst the players. By the way, guess who the 2018 leader in grounding into double plays was? I'll give you the answer later. And don't go running off to baseball reference either, you cheater. For pitchers, highest ERA and whip, blown saves, and strikeouts. And since we want to discourage rosters made up entirely of bench hitters and 14th pitchers, we are going to include at-bats and innings pitched as categories and give them double points. With the groundwork thus exhaustively laid, here are my picks for the first annual, and probably last annual, Feeble League Draft. Catcher number one, Sandy Leon of Boston, figures to pick up 250 at-bats or so behind the dish. He did have a dangerously useful season in 2016, but as the forecaster pointed out, his career otherwise has 745 at-bats, during which he's managed just 199 runs produced with 288 OBP. His 2019 HQ projection is 49 runs produced and a 254 on-base percentage. That's the kind of feeble stuff we need. At catcher two, with Leon's 69 projected strikeouts, we need to get that whiff total up. Off to Detroit, where the rebuilding Tigers include Grayson Griner. Griner projects to 400 at-bats with a modest 78 runs produced and a sub-300 on-base percentage. Best of all, 112 projected strikeouts. At first base... Chris Davis of Baltimore or Ryan O'Hearn of Kansas City. This is your choice. Both of them around 440 projected at bats, around 290 on base, around 95 runs produced. We're giving the edge to Davis because he has a 41 strikeout advantage, but keep in mind O'Hearn could chip in a couple of caught stealings on the run and Royals. At second base, Alan Hansen of San Francisco, only 260 projected at bats, but he does offer five projected caught stealings and a nifty 280 OBP. If you want more at-bat volume, consider David Fletcher of the Angels, who projects to 400 at-bats with a projected strikeout total close to Hansen's, but you'll pay a premium, 90 runs produced, well over Hansen's 53. 
At third base, back to the Royals, Hunter Dozier is close to 500 projected at-bats with a modest 80-ish runs produced and a very solid 280 on-base percentage. Like O'Hearn, Dozier figures to run in Kansas City, and he has excellent career inefficiency. Seven attempts, three caught stealings. Gotta like that. The shortstop situation, like regular fantasy, is replete with feeble candidates. The best choice is in Pittsburgh, where Kevin Newman projects to over 300 at-bats with just 62 runs produced and a 286 on-base percentage. Not a lot of K potential here, but six big caught stealings. Hello, Newman! And in the outfield, plenty of feeble choices as well, but our strategy is to pile up those double-counting at-bats. We'll start with Adam Engel of Chicago, who projects to more than 500 at-bats with a relatively tame 83 runs produced, a very solid 175 strikeouts, and a positively intoxicating 254 on base percentage. Throw in 10 projected caught stealings, and it's draft day eve for Adam. Chris Shaw of San Francisco also projects 500-plus at-bats in the newly enfeebled Giants outfield. There's no projected caught stealings here, but a 270 on base percentage, under 100 runs produced, and nearly 200 strikeouts means we won't say Peshaw to Shaw. And our last outfielder, we take our search for lack of talent to South Beach and the Marlins. Our pick from among the low-hanging fruit in Miami is Lewis Brinson whom we mentioned earlier because of his outbreak of taters in spring training. He's a risky pick because of upside, but he's worth the gamble if he comes close to his projections. A 475 projected at-bats, just 90 runs produced, 131 big strikeouts, four caught stealings, and a tremendous 273 on base percentage. On we go to our feeble pitchers, and we start with Andrew Kashner. He's projected for 160 innings in the ravaged Baltimore rotation, with a projected ERA over 5 and a whip near 150, and barely 100 strikeouts. When they say he'll anchor the rotation, in this case it's true, and this is the kind of anchor you need to sink your stats and keep them sunk. Brad Keller of Kansas City should get 150 innings or so, but a 6.2 strikeouts per nine across his major league and minors career should mean a very good chance he won't crack the 100 strikeout mark. Keller also gives up plenty of hits and a lot of walks, so he looks good for his 150-ish projected whip as well. There is some danger in a 422 projected ERA, based in part on a 418 career expected ERA. Starting pitcher number three, we already have Detroit catcher Grayson Griner on the roster, so we'll complete what amounts to a discharged battery in Motown with Tyson Ross. Ross had some dangerously productive seasons in the past, but he returned to form in 2017 before being completely average last season. We're betting on regression. A 472 projected ERA, 148 whip in 145 innings, but with barely over 100 strikeouts. And finally, our relievers. The key here is blown saves, which are actually harder to come by than saves and holds. Finding a truly feeble blown saves guy is actually pretty hard, because the biggest totals go to guys who get into a lot of high leverage situations, namely good pitchers. For that reason, the number one relief target for 2019's feeble league is Kyle Baraclough of Washington. He had 16 blown saves in his career and 12 in the 2019 Baseball HQ projections. Interesting factoid, of the top 25 relief pitchers in the blown saves category from 2015 to 18, Baraclau is the only one who has more blown saves than saves. Throw in a relatively low 72 projected strikeouts and 457-155 projected decimals and Baraclau is a clear top choice. 
Our second reliever, only four blown saves in the 2019 projection for Miguel Castro of Baltimore, who was actually somewhat decent last season as a multi-inning reliever posting a 3.66 ERA, which would be disastrous for your feeble team. Don't be fooled, though. On a skills basis, he was reliably feeble out of the pen. A 145 whip, a dom under six strikeouts per nine, and a control of 5.1 walks per nine. Baseball HQ has Castro down for four blown saves this year, and down is the keyword. Of course, we remind you, do due diligence before committing to the projected feebleness of any of these players. Past performance does not guarantee future futility. Baseball HQ and I disclaim any responsibility for financial losses you suffer as a result of heeding our advice on these and other matters. Although personally, I would be glad if you send me a share of any of your winnings. Oh, and before I forget, which at my age could be any minute now, the guy who grounded into the most double plays in 2018... Well, let me hold on for a second before I give that name. Nine players killed 20 or more rallies last season. Numbers 2 through 9 were Miguel Rojas with 23, Yuli Gurriel, Ryan Healy, Adam Jones, Stephen Piscotti, Yandra Vassilarde, and Wilson Ramos and Eugenio Suarez with 20 apiece. And your leader? None other than newly minted multi-zillionaire Manny Machado, who grounded into 26 twin killings. And you can bet he hustled on every one of them. Happy drafting. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 8th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 8 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky, and our Market Pulse position preview was presented by Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. And take a second to go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your pods. And if they'll let you, leave Baseball HQ HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. And so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. 
The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.